Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today I'm sharing with you 13 random pieces of advice that might be useful. Hello there, lovely teachers. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode was originally broadcast on YouTube a couple of weeks ago, and it shares 13 pieces of advice. They cover a huge range of topics, and I want to encourage you to just pick out one of these from this episode and put it into action this week. I promise there'll be something there that is new for you or sparks an idea for you. So today I have 13 different pieces of advice to share with you. These cover a huge range, but most of them are actually small things that if you make that tweak in how you think moving forward, you can make a big difference to your teacher life, to your life in general, but I don't want them to become overwhelming. So before we get to any of them, I want to remind you of our little motto around here, which is J dot, just do one thing. I'm going to give you 13 things. That's too many to do at once. I give lots of options because some of these things you might have heard before or figured out for yourself or whatever, but I just want you to take away one. So as I go through the list, start to think about which one that is for you. And I want to hear it in the chat. If you hear one and you're like, that's my one thing for today, shout it out. Let us know what it's going to be and which one of these pieces of advice you're going to take me up on. So. Before we go any further, center, J dot. Okay, and let's keep going. So piece of advice number one. This is about transfer students, but it's not about transfer students coming to you from another teacher. No, no. I want you to pretend, transfer students are something we all talk about a lot, right? But I want you to pretend that your students are transferring to you. So if your students were to come to you as transfer students, how would you feel about that? What would you feel they were lacking or what would you feel they were really strong on? What approach would you take to them if they were transfer students? Because sometimes we get into a rut with our students because we know them at this stage. We have a relationship. We have certain patterns that we're in with them. And we need to step back and say, okay, if I just met this student today, how would I help them? Now, our knowledge of them, our relationship with them should be mostly helpful, but sometimes we need to take that 
fresh perspective. And I think pretending our students transfer to us is helpful for that. It's also helpful for having a little bit of a broader perspective on the transfer students you do get. Now, I do have some transfer students I've had who have had a bunch of them from the same place. I would never name the place, but from the same place or the same teacher near me. And they all come with the same issue. And that's a bit different. But if you have a one-off student and they can't read the notes or they even wrote all the notes on their music, don't make assumptions about that previous teacher. You don't know what their plan was. You don't know whether that student is an anomaly or the usual. You don't know anything about it, right? So let's all have a little bit more empathy for other teachers because I think we need that reminder when we do have real transfer students and try to picture our own students as transfers from time to time. Number two, this is a big one. I've said this already today in the beginner's course I'm doing at the moment, and that is to record your teaching. I will say this again and again and again until every teacher is doing it, because I really think there's no better way to improve your teaching. Whether you're a beginner teacher or well-established with decades of experience. If you take videos of your teaching, make a point of doing this regularly. Okay, maybe not every week, but regularly and watch them back. You will learn so much. And going back to our previous tip, maybe pretend it's not you. <laughs> maybe pretend it's another teacher and you've been asked to give them feedback on how to improve their teaching. What would you say? because I have to do this or I get to do this because I've designed my studio that way pretty regularly. Yes, I record my own teaching often and I often share clips inside the membership community, but I also have the other teachers who work at Colorful Keys record their teaching and I watch all of their teaching for a week. So I do this three times a year, three weeks out of the year. They record all their lessons. I watch them all back and I give them pointers. And often the flow of the pointers looks like, so I write it by the student's name, right? So let's say Andrew, right? And I have loads of tips. And then I watch Bernice and I still have quite a few tips. And then by the time I get down <laughs> towards the end of their week, I have less to say. And it's not because those lessons were better. It's because the same things apply. The same things come up again and again. So you'll start to notice these patterns in the way you speak, the way you introduce things, where you're wasting time in the lesson, how you could have prepared something better, how you sometimes aren't reading the student the way you can when you're not in the moment. It honestly is the best thing you can do. And absolutely everyone that I've ever met, <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who aren't like this, but I think they're the exception. Almost everyone in the world hates watching themselves. Okay, so that's not your excuse. The fact that you hate your own voice or you hate watching yourself on camera is probably not the best excuse because almost everyone hates it, but it gets easier and you get used to watching yourself and you get better so much faster. So number two, record your lessons. Number three, whenever your head is swimming, and we know how teachers' heads get, right? Whenever your head is too full, you've loads of ideas, you've loads of things that you need to do, you've parent emails to follow up on, whatever it is that's making your head swim. I think you can recognize this feeling. Let me know in the chat if you can. If 
you are having that feeling and there's too much in your head, the answer, it's very simple, might sound too simple, but it works, write it down. Once you get all those things on paper, all the things you could be doing or should be doing, once you get them all on paper, you'll end up seeing, especially if you take a moment to take a break and then come back to it, you'll see actually there's like at least 50% of it you don't have to do at all. It's not going to make any difference to your life or your business. So you just cross it off. But until you make that act of putting it on paper and crossing it off, it's just swarming around your head. And then you'll find other items on the list that will take you two to five to maybe 10 minutes to complete. And you should just blast through them <laughs> because they're so quick and they will empty the clutter out of your mind. And then you'll be left with a few things that you need to consider more and that's fine. But anytime I feel overwhelmed or even a little bit manic, like a little bit like there's too much I could be doing, even if it's fun things, writing them all down, looking at it as a big list of things helps me to step back and consider what I can make a priority because you can't have 10, 20 priorities. Number four. Okay, if you are repeating a task, almost any task, if you're doing something and you're doing it a same, the same way or a similar way over and over, you should not be doing it. <laughs> That's the world we live in now. There is probably a way for a computer to do that. Yes, it might cost money. Sometimes getting a computer to do a task for you does cost money. You have to buy a software or enroll in a membership site or whatever you need to do. But how expensive is your time? If we take, say, your teaching rate or even what you would make if you weren't teaching, if you took a regular job, what would you make as an hourly rate? Because the chances are that computer can do it cheaper than you. You're just not recognizing your own time as being worth the same. So anytime you're doing something repetitive, it's not the best use of your brain, of your time in most cases. And there's probably a way for a computer to do it. And if you can't find one, just post in one of your teacher communities, whether it's our member forums or a Facebook group you're part of, and ask if anyone has a better solution to it. Okay, number five. This is a simple one. It's to get listed on Google Business. A surprising number of teachers still aren't on there. And this is one of the simplest things you can do to market your studio. So even if you don't have a website, you can still get listed on Google Business. If you do have a website, even better. This is the easiest way to show up close to the top of search results for your area. So if, they, if somebody Googles Piano Lessons Scranton, do you show up at the top? You probably can if you just get listed on Google Business and maybe get your parents to leave you a few reviews. It's simpler than it sounds. It might take a bit of a while to sometimes they have to send you a code in the post and etc. But still, it's worth doing. It's one of the best simple actions you can take for your marketing. Number six, if you have a student who is not concentrating, especially if they often are having trouble focusing during your lesson. What is one simple action you can take to improve the situation? There are lots of answers to this question, so write them in the chat. What can we do 
if we notice our student is having trouble focusing in their lesson, especially if they're doing it every week. What is a simple thing that we could do that is probably free, maybe almost free, depending on where you live, that might improve the situation a surprising amount? Any suggestions in the chat? What could we do to help our student focus more? Yes, that's one of the alternatives I was thinking of. Same here, get them to do something active, get them off the bench, change where they're sitting, similar, get them off the bench. That's not gonna be my suggestion. <laughs> this is more often overlooked in our teacher discussions, I think, and it sounds almost silly when I say it. So that's some of the best advice I can give. Does sound silly? Move them, yeah. It's not what I'm gonna say. What I'm going to suggest is that you water them like a plant, not literally pouring water over their head, but make them have some water. Like they might be dehydrated. <laughs> kids don't always aren't as good as adults and some adults struggle with this too, but kids especially, they kind of forget and they don't have it as easy a time paying attention to their thirst cues or other cues from their body. It's the same as when a kid says, it hurts and they can't really tell you where, like it moves from their stomach to their head. It's not because they're lying, it's because they actually don't have as good body awareness as we do. So sometimes kids arrive to us straight from school or straight from football or something and they actually just are dehydrated and they start to get sleepy and they have trouble focusing even when we're, we think we're doing fun things. And I found just making sure, so we have a jug of water and cups in our waiting room that we fill each day so they can easily have some themselves there or I can suggest it for them to go get some if I think they need a break for a second but yeah just make sure they have water I also say this to parents in our email sequence that goes out to them it's one of the tips I give them hey try and make sure your child has had a little snack if they if they might need a snack or they've had some juice or some water on the way to the lesson and also that they've gone to the bathroom so we can save that time. Those things go surprisingly far <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't occur to us. I think especially because we're not teaching a sport, but they do have to move in piano. And even if it wasn't physical, they could have, they could just be dehydrated when they come to us. <laughs> Great other suggestions coming in in the chat. Let me know, we're at six, so we're almost halfway now. Let me know which one of these you might want to do as your one thing you're taking away from today. So number seven is don't teach students that don't practice as if they do. So not don't teach students who don't practice. I don't believe in firing students. It's fine if you run a different type of studio to me, but personally, I don't fire students who don't practice. I don't have any kind of practice contract, but I do teach them differently if they don't practice. Now this isn't if they don't practice for one week or even a month. It's those students you have who, with your best systems and your best intentions in the beginning and setting them up and talking to the parents and all of that, you did everything you could. But this student, they still enjoy their lessons. They still come every week, but they don't practice or they hardly ever practice. Stop teaching them as if they do. Stop planning lessons that move them forward in a way that they just cannot. What if we pretended 
that music students just didn't practice, right? Just as a thought experiment for this case. But what if we lived in a world where practice didn't exist? Would that lesson be pointless? No, it wouldn't. We can't make as fast progress without the practice, which is why we focus on it so much. But we can have a great musical experience every week. They can learn something just at a more gradual rate. So if you have students who perennially don't practice, stop teaching them as if they do. Number eight. If you're ever feeling a bit blech with your teaching, a bit meh, and you can't really figure out why you're feeling a bit mm, dissatisfied, disinterested, burned out, if it's feeling stronger than that. You're not really sure. Everything seems to be going fine. You really like all the kids you teach. You like your hours. You're happy with what you're charging. There's nothing really wrong with anything, but you're just feeling a bit jaded or something. Try some new repertoire. Maybe you just aren't mixing it up enough. Sometimes we can find books that we think these are fantastic and they work so well for students that we don't want to try other things because we have an answer that works. But it is perfectly valid for you to bring a new book into your studio to experiment with new repertoire just because it's more interesting for you. Because students pick up on how you feel, okay? So if you're just a bit bored of that piece, or you're teaching it too many times in that week, it's going to come through to them. They're not going to be as jazzed about it as they would be if it was something you found really exciting. So it does have to work for students, but also it has to work for you. And I think we need to mix it up enough that we stay energized about the music that we're teaching. Number nine, learn some dances in basic meters to teach these concepts. So learn a simple dance move or make one up in 3-4, in 4-4, and in 6-8, I would say, at a minimum. Make up your little dances and teach them to students. I mentioned several times here and elsewhere that I did a lot of Irish dancing growing up. So I did Irish dancing basically from age four, with a year or two off somewhere in there, until age 21. <laughs> Right? So that's a long time. Now, I wasn't amazing. I didn't practice my Irish dancing as much as I practiced my piano. So I was never the star performer, but I was part of a group and we did youth exchanges around Ireland. We sort of represented Ireland at these different festivals and stuff. And it was really fun. So I was involved with Irish dancing the whole way through. And because of that, I never struggled with feeling different meters in music. Because to me... Even if they weren't dance pieces, they still, that's what they were. Oh, this one feels like a jig. Makes sense to me why that's different to the one that feels like a waltz, etc. So some simple dance moves. You don't have to be an amazing dancer. And I don't teach my students anything super fancy, but I do teach them simple dance steps in three, four, 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 and six, eight. And we practice them with me like vamping at the piano and with tracks. And that way they really understand what meter is and what it does. Yeah, absolutely. Fits in with the Del Crow's thing as well and several other, other educational philosophies like that. Okay, number 10. Learn things at least every week, I would say. 
outside of music and teaching. So make it a point to learn something new outside of music and teaching every single week. Do you do that already? I know sometimes I don't quite manage this and it shows and it doesn't show instantly. So it's kind of sneaky, but if for, you know, a consistent period, I'm not making a point of learning things that are not directly related to my job, it starts to show. I start to have less inspiration for teaching. I start to feel it in different ways. So do you have a hobby? Write it into into the chat if you do. Do you have something you do outside of teaching, outside of music entirely? So I'm going to say just for our purposes right now, it doesn't count if it's just another instrument or another or like choir or something like that. Do you have things that you learn that are nothing to do with your job? Number 11, we're getting down to the wire. So let me know. I'm going to be wanting to hear which one is your one thing that might make a difference for you this week. Number 11, connect with other teachers. You're doing it right now if you're watching live. Find different ways of connecting in person or online or both ideally. So if you have the opportunity, if you're able to attend conferences, whether they're local ones or national, international ones, I will be at MTNA in March, for example. And it really, it makes such a difference, honestly, because we're so isolated. Even, even if you're like me and you have a couple of other teachers working for you, that's very different to talking with peers and with colleagues because, and their boss, you know, we have fun chats together and that's great, but it's not the same as meeting with other teachers who are also running their own studios, for example. So find ways to meet up in person if you can, or at online events. Like we have our member huddles inside VMT. So in our Vibrant Music Teaching membership, um, members can attend huddles once a month at two different times where they can talk to other teachers and have chats about things. We also have our practice symposium coming up. So that's another great place to connect with other teachers because we'll have our daily huddles within that. So every day, the attendees are able to go on Zoom after the sessions and go into breakout rooms to talk in small groups about the day's sessions and what they're learning. So if you don't have any teacher friends, please find a way to reach out. It's not as scary as it sounds like it's going to be if you're new to it. I know it can be intimidating at first, but they're not all going to ask to see your degrees and doctorates. (laughs) They're not going to be snooty. Every teacher group that I've been a part of, at least, or most of them, have been overwhelmingly positive and welcoming. So you can find a community like that for you too. Number 12. If you're frustrated with something, say a parent emails you or says, or maybe a student, or maybe someone else in your life, if you're feeling frustrated, don't respond right away, but don't lose the fire either. I think We often give this advice of waiting a minute to answer something if we are feeling angry because we don't want that to come through in our response, even if we feel really indignant about the request that's being made or the comment or whatever it is. So I definitely think we need to take a beat to let ourselves calm down a bit and answer from a place of empathy and professionalism. However, 
don't let that mean that you just acquiesce, that you just give in to whatever the request was or, yeah, whatever the case may be. So, for example, if you get an email from a parent requesting a makeup lesson and your first thought is, I hate them, <laughs> I don't want to do a makeup lesson, I can't believe they asked me, this is so infuriating, why don't they think about my feelings, I have a life too, etc. You don't respond when you're feeling like that. But you also don't then leave it three days. I would never leave it three days for a parent email, but let's say 24 hours and then just give in because you've calmed down. You need to keep a little bit of that fire that makes you stick to your guns, but in a professional way. Okay, and last one, be your own teacher. I talked about this in a letter I sent out recently, an email I sent out last week about being your own teacher, but being a kind teacher. So the revelation I had, which sounds incredibly stupid, but I'm sure some of you will relate. In my own practice, we often have to act as our own teacher. If we don't currently have a music teacher, we have to act as our own teacher, right? And it's been that way since, you know, for a long time for me. I haven't had a regular teacher in that way for a long time. So I am my own teacher, but what occurred to me is I am now a teacher of an adult student. I am an adult now. I think we know that, yes? And I knew that, of course, but I hadn't connected the dots to the type of teacher I am for an adult student versus the teacher I was being to myself, which was like a mean version of a teacher for a child. So it wasn't even a version of a teacher that I would be for an actual child. But it was, you know, more about holding them accountable and trying to hold myself accountable in this way and like, yes, you can. And, you know, and that's not really what I do for adult students. I don't really push them because I feel they push themselves enough. They're hard enough on themselves. Not that I'm hard on kids either. I think you know what I'm saying, though. I err on the side of kindness, like extreme kindness with my adult students because I know how tough they are in their own heads. And it would be the same for any student who I thought was particularly hard on themselves. I go into the mode of being extra, extra kind and forgiving, not that they need my forgiveness, so that I'm balancing them out. So if I am my own teacher and I am currently an adult student who is hard on themselves, as most adult students are, then I need to be kinder to myself as my own teacher. I hope that makes sense. Okay, those were your 13 suggestions. Let me know which one you're going to do. I'll just give you a quick review. You can pick one or two and let me know which one it is for you. So treat your students or in your mind, go through the process of treating your students as if they're transferring to you. What would you teach them differently? What might you notice if they were transferring to you from another teacher? Record your own teaching. Take videos of your own teaching, watch it back, write notes to yourself without being mean, without being hypercritical, in a way to give positive, constructive feedback to yourself to improve your teaching. Number three, if your head is swarming, write a list of everything that's in your head, cross out all the things that you don't actually have to do at all, <laughs> do all the things that will be super quick and you could just knock out of the park in an hour, and then look at what's remaining and consider which the priority is. Number four, if you are repeating a task regularly, see if there's a way for a computer 
a robot to do it for you. Number five, get yourself a listing on Google My Business if you don't have one already. Number six, if your student is unfocused, not concentrating, a bit sleepy, make sure they are hydrated. Number seven, don't teach your students who don't practice as if they do practice. Number eight, find some new repertoire for yourself whenever you're feeling a bit blah and you can't figure out why. Number nine, learn some dancers in three, four, 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 and six, eight to teach meter. Number 10, learn some things every week outside of music, outside of teaching, outside of your profession. Number 11, connect with other teachers in person, online, find way to have real one-on-one -on -one group chats with teachers. Number 12, if you are frustrated by some communication you've re received, take a minute to reply, take a few hours to reply, but don't lose the fire that gives you the conviction to hold up your boundaries. And lastly, be, if you're being your own teacher to yourself, you don't have one, be a kind teacher to yourself. So there's a full list. Let me know which one you're gonna do. I'm just catching up with the chat. Juliet said number nine, the dance moves sound fun. I currently use a large ball to show the different meters, bounce, catch, throw up in the air for for, for a time, for example. <laughs> Earlier, someone asked for what are the dances. I'd say the easiest place for you to start with this, I think it was Laura, was it Laura? I'm not gonna find the comment again, but we have a resource inside Vibrant Music Teaching. What's it called? It's a movement activity that I think is a great way to get into this if you don't like dance yourself. I will think of that later. So that's really vague. But if you look up the rhythm section, yeah, you should be able to find one. It, it's one that works particularly well on a screen as well. Oh my gosh, sorry, I'm totally blanking on the name. It will come to me later. Uh, number four, automation. Yes, find ways to automate things. Rachel said 10 and 13. So learn things outside music and teaching, be your own teacher. So it's all about enriching yourself, right? I think that's so important. Fill your own bucket so that you can continue to fill others' buckets, right? You can literally make them up. So I'll, I'll explain as best I can. I just, we're not looking at my feet, which is why I was like, it's better to look at this. Um, resource inside Vibrant Music Teaching, except I can't remember the name, so that's useless. This is live video, everyone. Okay, so for three, four, you're just gonna do step, side step, and then step, step on the spot. That's a basic wall step, that's all that is. Step, step, step. So right, left, right, I'm not being your mirror. <laughs> so one, two, three, like that, but I would actually start it with just a sway. So you're listening to the music and you're just doing the one, one, one and then you add the two steps in between does that give you a good example and then for four four you can just do dancing uh, sorry marching in the beginning you could do that for two four and four four for beginners or you can do what i actually teach my students is what we in irish dancing call the one two three because they've normally done it in school as well so i'll try to explain that <laughs> so one two three starts with a hop that's where the fours four comes from so you go hop one two three so the one two three is the same before as before i do it side to side with my students but the first one is hop one two three 
Hopefully that makes some kind of sense, but you can literally make it up. Like you could do, if you're more comfortable doing it with your hands, you can do that as well. One, two, three, right? And make up different moves like that as dances. Hopefully that helps somewhat. <laughs> yes, fresh take on, on current students. And number 11, which was connect with other teachers, definitely really important. Fresh ideas and also um, commiseration sometimes or affirmation that, oh, I'm actually doing pretty well at that. Like they're having this struggle. I remember I used to struggle with that and I've totally forgotten about it, but I've improved so much since then, right? Water break, absolutely. Seven, which was don't teach students that don't practice as if they do. It's not the sea creatures. I'm so sorry. Laura, I thought it was you. I'm going to find it and send it to you directly after this because my brain is just... It's an absolute favourite of, like a long time favourite of a member of our team, Carmen. But she's not here right now, so I can't ask her for help. If she was, I'd be like, Carmen, what is it? What is it, your favourite rhythm one? Okay. Oh, yes, Juliet. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Time to jive. Thank you for coming to the rescue. My brain just broke. I was like something to do with dancing, time. I had nothing. Thank you, Julia. So time to jive is the VMT resource I was talking about. Margie, so we can both enjoy the music. Yes, enjoy the music. Don't focus on, did you practice? Like repeating the same lesson because I didn't practice. Let's just enjoy it. Let's have a lovely lesson regardless. Reading every day, yes. You know, that's one of my things, actually, I'd gotten out of the habit of reading nonfiction. So I'm kind of getting back into that at the moment. I'm a very steady fiction reader, which, you know, that's how I wind down in the evening. But um, and I don't like to read nonfiction before I sleep, but I used to read more of it and I used to listen to more nonfiction audiobooks and I kind of fell out of the habit. So I'm getting back into that at the moment myself. Yeah, nodding your head is good. I like things that identify these strong and weak beats. So that's why I'm talking about dance moves, because if you have like a one, two, three, you feel the meter rather than just the beat. The beat is really important, like that's the foundation. But when it comes to teaching the meter, we need to feel the strong and the weak and the feeling of how you would dance to it. We're going to wrap it up here for today, everybody. That's it. Do let me know which one you picked out and what you're going to do and how it goes. I'd love to chat to you over on Instagram. We're at Colourful Keys over there or on Facebook in our Facebook group, Vibrant Music Studio Teachers. Or if you're a member of Vibrant Music Teaching, maybe go tag me in the forums and post a little bit there about the advice you took and how it went for you. Vibrant Music Teaching membership costs less than the price of one lesson each month. That is totally worth it for all of the courses, games, resources, downloadables, printables that you can get access to as a member, as well as a fabulous community support you'll find inside. Go to vmt.ninja and become part of the revolution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.